0: are complications making you question your decision to become a surgeon, check out bosssurgery.com forward slash it's complicated course to hear more about how complications don't have to make you miserable. Now on to episode 18, where I speak to Dr. Riley, urologist and brand new Ultraman triathlete. We talked about life without limits and gaslighting. Please enjoy the show. Welcome surgeons.
1: Uh, Dr. Julie Riley on the show today, a newly minted ultra man finisher. Dr. Riley, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Um, great. Well, Amy, thank you so much for having me on here and, uh, and to get to sort of share my experiences and everything. This is a real honor to be here for sure and uh, kind of a surprise whenever you ask me. So this is great. Um, but a little background about me. Um, I've now been in practice about nine years. I'm a urologist. Um, I work in academics. I'm at the University of Arkansas. Um, I'm an associate professor and a residency program director, so quite busy um, at my job. And I just moved here about six months ago and had been in practice at another academic institution for um, quite some time. And uh, yeah, so I um, that's kind of my background of my uh, career, I guess. Um, but then I'm also this, as you mentioned, a new, uh, very, very excited Ultraman. I just finished it this past weekend, and so I'm super excited about that.
1: And if I remember quickly, weren't you like the top three in your age
2: group? I I was. I, I was the fifth woman to finish, and uh, top three in my age group So My age group happens to be quite heavy. <laughs> So, uh, I guess this is the age of endurance is, is what, uh, the forties and fifties are all about.
1: All right. So a lot of people may not know what an ultra man is. And so just give us a perspective of what that actually entails.
2: Yeah. So it is a three day, um, endurance triathlon event. Uh, on the first day you swim 6.2 miles and then you bike 90 miles on day two, You bike 172 miles and then on day three, you run a double marathon of 52.4 miles. You have a crew that is with you. So it is all self-supported. There's no aid stations whatsoever. Um, So I had a crew of four people in a minivan that uh, followed me around on the bike. They were also allowed to run with me. And on the swim, we would have a kayak um, escort with us as well. And, uh, and like I said, I had to get everything from the van. So we had to plan everything in advance and, um, and have a group of people that were willing to hang out in a van for three days. (laughs) And they did fantastic. So
1: now um, you had a lot of excitement on the swim. Uh, Take us through that a little bit.
2: Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty scary. uh, In hindsight, I had no idea. So when we got in the water, so the lake was called Lake Pleasant, Um, I would argue it might be better named Lake unpleasant. But The water temperature was about 52, 53 degrees. So it was very, very cold. Um, For anybody that does swimming, that's a pretty cold temperature. And uh, when we got in, the water was as calm as could be. It was a gorgeous um, Phoenix sunrise over top of this lake. It could not have been a more picture perfect setting. And I think we were probably I don't know, three minutes into the race, whenever I started to notice that things kind of, the water got a little bit rough. I I sort of thought that maybe like a boat had gone by and I was kind of feeling those waves. And um, they had changed it. Uh, Originally we were supposed to go three miles out, three miles back, but they kind of had some inklings that the weather might be bad. So they made us do 10 loops, um, 10 1,000 meter loops. And so we lost our kayak support, which was kind of a interesting switch on the morning of. But so when we got out there and we were swimming for a little bit, as I came around the corner to come back towards the dock, I was sort of like body surfing is really all that I can describe it as. And I was having a blast because I I love swimming. I love open water swimming. I think it's the best thing in the world. Um, Apparently some other people did not think that that was as much fun um, because there were white caps and and about three foot swells um, on a lake in the middle of Phoenix. And so uh, I came back towards the dock. Um, Things seemed kind of fine and uh, started out for my second lap. And I noticed that there seemed to be a lot of just, I don't know, stuff kind of going on. And the waves got bigger and they got harder. And I came around the second time towards the dock and they start yelling at me to get out of the water. And I was like, that was not six miles quite yet. Um, and I got out, and I realized I was the last swimmer out. And uh, I was like, "What happened?" And my whole crew had basically almost just broke down crying because they were just sort of like, "We didn't really know um, if people were going to make it. We were very concerned about everybody. We couldn't see everybody." And I was like, "Oh gosh, that seemed very scary. I'm sorry, everyone that was really scared. I had a blast out there, everyone. I'm fine." <laughs> Um, and so, uh, so that was it. We got out of the water. I, I managed to finish 2000 meters, so I didn't get my full six mile swim in, but, um, but I was out there the longest. So I guess I get a feather in my cap for that, I guess. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, and I'm glad to hear that you had such a good time because, you know, I was on that Facebook string and, and like, you know, it's getting a little dangerous. They're going to get people and Julie's not back yet. And we're like, what's going on? <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that you you had fun. Just another... <laughs>
2: the poor race director, when I got out, it was like my crew and the race director were standing there and that was about it. And she looked at me just like, oh my gosh, you know, obviously she's very worried and very concerned about all of us. And I got out and I was like, well, that just was not six miles and kind of just started laughing. And it sort of took all the tension away because she was obviously very stressed about, you know, keeping the safety of all of the athletes. Um, I mean, there were 34 of us, so it's a really small, intimate um, environment for sure.
1: And, and, you know, let's back up. Now that we know exactly what's involved with an band, which is, you know, obviously just astronomically amazing. Um, when did you make this decision and what led you to the decision to try this?
2: Yeah. So I've been doing triathlon, um, since I was in medical school, my first year of medical school. Um, one of my, you know, very good friends. I I was kind of burned out in things and like, I had been a college athlete, um, you know, doing a lot of stuff and I took time off and didn't really feel that great about myself, not exercising and not doing stuff and kind of just irritated about it. And one of my friends said, you should try triathlon. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't really know how to swim and I kind of have this crappy bike, but what could go wrong? So we did. And, um, and I, I really just very much enjoyed the process of triathlon of just kind of working through stuff and not always being comfortable, but you know, you, one moment might be bad, but the next moment is going to be just fine. So you just have to keep going through the bad moments to get to the good moments. And I ended up, um, going into doing Ironman distance races, uh, when I was, um, when I first, um, got out and was, was working as an attending, um, and really enjoyed that experience of, of really pushing and seeing what my body could do and what, you know, how much your brain puts limits on you, but it turns out those are just fake and they don't really mean anything. And so I finished one of my Ironman races in November of 2018. And at that time, um, my coach was sort of hoping I was going to choose to go faster and, and choose some shorter distances, but faster. And I, sort of elected to not do that and go quite a bit longer and do this Ultraman race. And I really just, it, it really did something for me because it was such a community and it was such a family race. Like everyone worked together and the idea of having your own crew and everyone had to just kind of support themselves and be, um, be a family, be it, be, be each other, be around each other. Um, you know, the, the saying of Ultraman is, um, Aloha, Ahona, and Kakua, which is a Hawaiian for essentially love, um, family, and help. And that is sort of the makeup of this race. And they really, really believe that. So I thought that was going to be very interesting and to really push and see what my limits were and if I could really do this. And so I decided this in November of 2018. I knew I needed to get a little bit longer swimming in, I knew I needed to get a little bit more um, biking experience, um, to be able to do this. So I took a year in 2019 and I swam a 6.2 mile swim. I swam, this is probably the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. I swam from the Golden Gate Bridge to the Bay Bridge in in San Francisco. And it was absolutely amazingly fun to do. Um, and by the way, you can totally escape Alcatraz. I know you can. So, (laughs) um, And then I did uh, um, several different uh, races that year to kind of prepare and you have to apply for Ultraman. So that was the year that I applied by sort of putting forth that I was really ready to step up my game and do a lot more endurance things. And so I got accepted and was gonna volunteer in March of 2020, that was gonna be the first time that Ultraman was gonna come to Arizona. Well, I think we all remember what happened in March of 2020 So that got postponed about a week beforehand. And I'm so glad I was just volunteering and not actually racing. I cannot fathom the people that were that trained up and then had it called, you know, a week or two before their race. Um, But I, you know, went ahead and made the commitment to go into March of 2021. Well, you know, fast forward into November, December of 2020, you know, COVID was getting bad again. And the race directors elected not to have the same experience of canceling it right beforehand. So they postponed it another year. And uh, so three and a half years in the making, I finally got to race. Um, I was ready to race for sure. (laughs) So yeah, so it was a long process to get there and and these are not the decisions that you make overnight for sure.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, looking at the motivations that you had for that, the two things that kind of strike out to me is that the idea of, you know, community and family and this idea that there's no limits that I have on myself. And I think that these two thoughts are so helpful for surgeons because I think that the biggest issue that we have um, as surgeons is isolation. And the second is, is, and this is just any human in general is thinking that we have limits. Um, because as soon as you have a limit, then you have defined that as a limit and you define it as a limit, not that there is one. And so the fact that you kind of said, no, no limits for me, I think I'm just going to complete the past and this idea of limits. Thanks anyway. And then I'm going to make sure that I'm not isolated, that I have, you know, an, a community and, you know, do you feel like in some ways that some of these things were filling gaps that you had in the job before you left, take us through that your uh, you know, this idea that you left this job was like, there is there advice you would have for someone. Cause a lot of times we leave a job for various reasons. Is there anything thing that stands out to you as a lessons? And did that feed into your decision about doing
0: the race?
2: Yeah, I think I decided to do the race before I really realized, um, I was in some trouble at my job. Um, very interestingly, I had a lot of people kind of tell me that maybe, um, maybe I should re-examine uh, some of the thoughts I had about my job and, and if it was really going to get me where I wanted to be in life. And I very much enjoyed a lot of the um, things of my job. Um, I, I very much um, enjoyed the patients that I got to take care of, several of the people that were around me and some of the opportunities I was given. And so it was hard for me to think about not, um, not wanting to be in that environment. And um, I uh, really... It's so probably, uh, you know, when COVID hit, I had a little bit of time to stop and think. I think a lot of us had this um, happen. And um, I, I kind of realized that maybe something wasn't right. I was starting to do things that maybe I wasn't quite happy with the way that I was going about things. Maybe I really wasn't giving myself all the opportunities. I was, interestingly enough, putting limits on myself, saying that, you know, I, well, this is kind of the job that I have. And like, I, maybe I can't really do any better than this. And, you know, maybe I should just be happy with where I am instead of sort of saying I can be happy here, but maybe I can do something even better. And maybe I can put forth a lot of effort and do things. And, um, I ended up going into getting coaching. Um, and one of the first times that I, um, it was, it was group coaching. And one of the very first times I was there, I heard a woman talking about gaslighting. I'd never, ever in a million years dreamed that I would be vulnerable to gaslighting. And I realized all of a sudden that I was being gaslighted. I guess that's a word, gaslighted. Um, and so um, I really just never in a million years thought that. But I heard this woman talking and I was like, Oh my gosh, that's me. That's that's me and I'm listening to this thinking, "Wow, I don't I don't want to feel this way anymore and I don't want to do this." And I either have to decide to like where I am and and figure out a way to change my environment and like where I am and like and change my perception of what's going on or I have to work through all of this stuff to make sure that I don't go to another job and get the exact same result because I was allowing this to happen to me. I mean, don't get me wrong, it wasn't appropriate that the other person was doing their behavior, but I was allowing it to happen to me and I was sort of playing the victim in it and sort of just saying, well, I mean, what else am I supposed to do? You know, like this is just who this person is. And, um, but I realized through that that I didn't really have to take that I did, however, have to do a lot of work to make sure that I didn't allow that to happen again, and that I respected myself enough um, to to recognize that I didn't deserve that and, um, and that I needed to change that. But I have to say that through coaching, I really realized that I was not alone and that there really was a whole community that was out there suffering through a lot of the same stuff, but nobody would say anything. And... Um, that ultimately helps me a lot in my job to be a lot more upfront with people and say, these are my boundaries. This is what I need. This is what I don't need, whatever. But it also helped me in my training because, you know, when I would talk to my coach, um, my coach for, for my triathlons, right? So I had had multiple coaches, but my triathlon coach, uh, I would say, you know, this is what I need and this is what I'm, this is what's going on. And then there were other times that I would call and say, listen, I'm just really not feeling good today or, you know and those were things that i really never expressed before of you know the struggles i was having and that it was okay to ask for a little bit of help um and that that was pretty dramatic and i've had a really big change in my job because my job my life my family like everything has changed because i've been willing to accept the fact that it turns out i'm not perfect i can actually improve some stuff and um but I'm also not alone, and there's a ton of people around me that if I just say I need a little bit of help, they're right there. They're right there for me, and um, and how grateful I am to have those people around me. And it it really was a huge change. Um, so in some ways, like COVID sucks. Like no, actually, in all ways, COVID sucks. But I was really happy that COVID came about to give me that opportunity to pause for a second and say maybe just working my ass off was not exactly where we wanted to be. It wasn't really
1: getting my goals. So that was a really wordy answer to that, but I think I got to that. No, it, it, it's perfect because, you know, I, I actually feel the same way too. I think the one silver lining of COVID, and this is probably going to be the most remarkable aspect for many of us, is someone described COVID as the great pause. And, you know, I thought that that was really um. Clarifying to me in a, a lot of ways is because it really, we all had to stop and re examine. And I think that this changed a lot. I mean, there's a reason that everyone's leaving the workforce in droves in multiple different areas, is that we've been able to pause and say, Do you know, I actually don't want to be treated like this anymore. I don't think that I'm on the path that I want. Um, and, you know, having been a coach now uh, for a couple of years, um, your experience is very similar to what I've seen over and over again, which is first, you're not exactly sure what's wrong, but you know something is wrong, and so then, like you try to search your your mind and thoughts about, like, well, how can I make this better? And so it makes sense that a race that helped you not feel isolated and proved to yourself that you didn't have limits, you sought exactly what you needed, and so looking back, it's very obvious why that decision, you know, happened, um, and then that led to this, you know, idea of seeking out um, other folks and realizing that. Um, well, I don't know. And, and we don't often see our own problems, but this is why group coaching can be very powerful is that, you know, we may not be able to come up with this thought ourselves initially because we're kind of in this, um, you know, nondescript mass of, of thoughts, but then we see it in someone else. We're like, oh, is that what that is? That makes perfect sense. Now, how would you describe what gaslighting is for someone who's never heard of the term?
2: Yeah, I mean, it really is a a huge form of manipulation that I the only way I can really describe it is is it sort of just makes you feel crazy. Like mm-hmm. someone is is telling you things and like in some ways it sounds very nice to a lot of other people, but you realize that what they're saying to you is not that doesn't really match their actions and like the, the actual undertones and like the way that they're actually interacting with you really doesn't jive with that. And so, um, I mean, I'd love to give a great example, but I'm terrible at always coming up with examples because I usually try to forget bad things like that, but (laughs) it's just who I am as a human being. But, um, but like, it's, it's just, you, you sort of, you get told like, oh, you know, like one of the things that was happening a lot was I was getting praise to my superiors, which sounds great. But the words that were coming out of my direct um, reports, like my direct supervisor's mouth were not that at all. And when I would actually ask for things, it was sort of like what, you know, I don't care about you. But it was almost like he was saying those words to his, you know, his bosses to sort of show like, look how great everything is. Everything's amazing. I'm speaking all these great words. I'm doing the right thing. But the reality was, is like, that really wasn't happening. And on, you know, boots on the ground, I really wasn't getting that support. And that really, you know, on a day-to-day basis, I was getting really treated quite poorly. Um, and it, and it really is sort of a psychological manipulation.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because they, I know that you've, you know, done the coaching and the, the idea of thought work is that, you know, a lot of times these thoughts will stack up over time into a belief, And so, you know, we'll hear some words, but then there's a thought that comes up Well, this is not exactly what's happening. And then, well, now, is there something wrong with me? Now they're saying this, but this doesn't feel this way. And so it it leads uh, all these thoughts stack up into a belief of not trusting yourself. And so then when we don't trust what we feel, whether it's decisions, and I, I put a Facebook post and a recent email about it too, is that, you know, when we feel like we don't trust ourselves, it's impossible to make decisions then too, because you don't know which direction is up. It's kind of like tossing you over and losing the compass. Um, and so the next, you know, transition of lesson that I thought that that was really relevant that you mentioned is, you know, and I did this as well. It's like, I had, I had a good job, you know, I was making money. I mean, I work with a lot of people I liked and I worked with some people I didn't like, and, you know, and, but there was something in me that said, you have to give up something good to go to something better. Um, And it's hard to give up a good job when you feel like things are okay. Um, But I think that in some ways it's easier for us mid-career to say, you know, actually, I feel like I should be be doing better than this. Um, And there's something that speaks inside of you. And I think this is why I really like that idea that, you know, there are no limits that I have on myself. And that was my coaching journey too, is when people started, you know, I started unraveling this belief that this, this whole stack of beliefs that there, this is all I could do. This is the best that I had. I shouldn't have to ask for more. more. I really, who am I to ask for more? You know, all of these thoughts that keep us limited. And all of a sudden I started hearing this narrative of people saying, "Is like, you can actually do whatever the hell you want. (laughs) And, and you know, and, and if you try for what you want and you don't get it, yes, that's technically a failure because you have a stated outcome, but nobody cares. And then when I realized that that was actually true, you know, if I reached for the stars and made it a little bit short, that that's okay. um, That allowed me to do so much more, and reach the potential that I was always meant to um, achieve. So that, uh, you know, I had a similar uh, experience with coaching too. It just provides clarity and lets you sort out your thoughts. So then you can kind of regain your compass back. And I thought that also, um, you know, you mentioned before that we started recording about how it helped you in your training. Um, so I know that you told me that people told you what to expect in the race and how did, what people told you to expect of the race and how it actually ended up. How did that, how did that change?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that we always talk about in endurance racing and, and, and we really work on is like, you're going to have bad moments and you're going to have good moments. I mean, if you're out there, I had a 12 hour limit on each day. So I was going to be out there for almost 12 hours each day. I, I'm not fast. I just am persistent. Maybe stubborn is the right word. And so, um, when you're out there for that long and, and the same goes for Ironman races, I'm out there at 13, 14, 15 hours you're going to have good moments and bad moments. You're going to go through a whole lot of stuff. And so, um, you know, one of the things that you really have to prepare for is whenever life goes down and it's really easy at that moment to just say, that's it. I'm not doing this. I'm I'm done. I'm out. This is too hard. And no one's going to care if I, you know, I mean, I came this far, no one's going to care. Everyone's going to be super impressed that I came this far, but you know, you have more, you know, that there's a better way of doing that. And so, um, what I thought was really interesting and probably the thing I'm most proud of in, in racing the, the, Ultraman was that I really never got down on myself. I mean, there were some moments where I probably wasn't the nicest human being in the world, but I also really made sure that I didn't lose the fun. I, I didn't, I didn't lose track of the fact that I was really, um, lucky to be there and to, to have that opportunity Um, and I was surrounded by four people that absolutely loved me, um, willing so much to hang out in a minivan for three days straight and, uh, and put up with me. And, um, so I was, I was really lucky. And so one of the things that I, I really worked through was to make sure that whenever I started to get down on myself, rather than feeling victimized, rather than sort of being like, oh, well, this is my lot in life. It's really hard. And it was instead to say, you know what? yeah, it's hard right now, but in five minutes, 10 minutes, I don't know, whatever magical time it's going to be, it's going to be better. And it's going to be great actually. And, um, and getting down on myself right now is not going to help anything. And I really was really proud of myself for not getting to a place where I really beat myself up. Um, there, there was very, very little of the race where I really said, gosh, I'm just not good enough, or I just didn't do the right Pre- preparation or things like that. And and I think it's really easy to, when things are tough to, to say that about yourself. But I went into that race saying, if I didn't make the time limits, I had done every single thing that I could. I mean, I'm a super busy surgeon. I mean, for God's sakes, I did everything I possibly could. And um, if I didn't make the time limits, it wasn't because a lack of trying, I had nothing else. And if I wasn't gonna make it, that's okay. And I gave myself that grace to say, that's okay. And so we had fun. Like I was on the steepest hill of the entire race and I was looking around thinking, Oh my gosh, this is the worst. And, um, and I was, I was walking with my absolute best friend who's been with me for quite some time, knows me really well. And, and we were making jokes as we were walking up that hill. I I was not running up that hill. I'd like to comment. Um, I definitely walked at that point. Um, but I walked up that hill and, um, and we were having fun. So uh, I I think that that's part of it is you have to sort of change your mindset about it. You have to, you know, it's not rainbows and unicorns. I wasn't like Pollyanna and smiling the whole time, but I was in a place where I still had fun. And I still remember the people around me were amazing people to help me and how grateful I was for that.
1: Yeah, I think it's so cool because I know that you mentioned that everyone told you that you were gonna to go to a dark place. Yeah. And you realize that this was actually a choice that you could make to not go to a dark place. Um, And we talk about shame resilience all the time, which is, you know, reach out to a trusted source. You had your team in place, talk kindly to yourself. You talk kindly to yourself and you own the story. So therefore, of course you own the ending. You know, you decided ahead of time what success was going to mean to you, which was your definition of success was trying, you know, your goal was to win, But your success was trying and being persistent. And I think that, um, and what a gift that was to yourself, because, you know, you were able to be present in the moment. I think a lot of times when we have this goal and we have this definition of success that we're worried about, that we don't know if we're going to make it, you know, then you can't enjoy the moment. And so the fact that you decided your success ahead of time, you know, is really uh, like what a gift to yourself. I just, that's so cool.
2: The other thing I would say too, um, I, I'm not used to asking for help, right? Like I was never trained to ask for help. I mean, welcome to surgery 101, right? Don't ask for help. Um, and, uh, and if you do, maybe that's a sign of weakness. I mean, how many of us were told that in, in training? If you call me, that's a sign of weakness. Um, by the way, I don't believe that. So if any of my residents are hearing this, I do not believe that. Um, but, um, but before I went out for day two, which was my hardest day, and I knew it was gonna be hard, I knew that there was gonna be a moment where I could very easily say, I'm not a very good cyclist. Um, and so maybe I don't deserve to be here. Maybe I shouldn't be here or whatever those thoughts might be that creep in at that moment. Um, I remember the night before I was talking to my crew and I said, listen, when I, I know when I get a really big headwind and I'm working up against this headwind and I'm going uphill, I all of a sudden will start to say, I'm not a good enough cyclist. Like all these people around me are so much better than me. And you know, and you start doing that, you start just kind of beating yourself up. And, and I said, you guys, when that starts to happen, can you guys stop a little bit more often and, and kind of remind me who I am and that I'm not, you know, like I'm okay. And you guys are okay with the fact that I'm okay. And one of my, one of my crewmates who actually happened to get me into triathlon, the person in med school that got me into triathlon, she looked at me and she said, you know, that's not a problem. We got your back. Um, however, maybe inner Julie should be a little bit nicer to herself. And I was <laughs> like, and it kind of got me off guard for a second. Cause I was like, you're right. I should be. And I, and I should take that moment. And I remember as I was riding into a headwind going uphill thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not going to make it on time. I remember hearing her words in my head and I said, no, I have got to just pull this together and just keep going. It's just one foot in front of the other and we'll get through it. And so I, I think also it was a really humbling moment to remember that you need help and that help is just fine. And nobody thought any less of me because I said, I need a little bit of help.
1: That's so great because it actually what led to your success too, is that, you know, being able to accept help from other people that not only is it more fun, but we're more likely to do it. There's a really great lesson. Now, getting back to the, the job, I know that, that you're undergoing all of this training and that you decide to, to leave uh, and get a new job. What is your advice to someone who is in a job and, they're, and they've are and they already left and they're having a hard time dealing with the idea of leaving? What are some suggestions that you have to them about overcoming the trauma of leaving a job that was a little less than expected? Um,
2: I don't know. I'm, I'm still kind of working through that myself. So <laughs> let's see if maybe I can give myself some advice. Um, But I I think one of the things is, is it's going to get better. Um, You know, one of the things I tell myself a lot is I was very successful in my old job, I'm going to be very successful in my new job, that shouldn't be any different. Uh, I am who I am. And I know that I will move forward. Um, And that, you know, whenever I hit those dark moments in my job transition, it's the same as in my race, I can choose to sit down and pout and cry and, and, and play a victim, or I can choose to change the way that I'm looking at that, change the environment, move forward with life. Um, And so, you know, and then I think the other thing is, is remind yourself why you made that choice to leave, because um, there was a really powerful reason why you decided to do something very hard, like change jobs, or even consider changing jobs. It's, it is not easy. I know, and you know that too. It is not an easy thing to make the decision. Number one, take a leap of faith on yourself. Number two, and then number three, like physically actually move like buy a new house pack like that in and of itself is really challenging. So remind yourself that, um, there was a really good reason why you did that. Um, And then reach out for help. I I have really reached out to a lot of people and just said, you know what, today it's kind of hard. And, um, you know, sometimes they bring me out of that funk pretty easily. Other times, you know, we kind of commiserate for a second and move on with life. So I I think it's kind of the same life lessons I learned and, you know, that I used in my race.
1: Yeah. You actually have a really great point because uh, taking myself back to the decision that I made, there was a time, you know, I, I just left employee practice. I decided to start this private practice, you know, all, all from scratch. And I remember one day sitting at the computer and being very, very overwhelmed and telling myself what is going on? Why have I, you know, like all the regrets of stuff. And I was sitting next to one of my colleagues who leaned over to me and she's like, you know, you left for a reason, right? You know, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, of course, I forgot the reason why I left. And then I also forgot, you know, what I was gaining. Um, and I actually had a coaching session a couple of days ago where I was talking to someone who was dealing with something similar, difficulties with a private practice, because there's certainly some difficulties, but reminding ourselves why we're doing it is really, really helpful and very centering. Um, and then when you look back and you see the, the little problem, you know, it seemed like a big problem. When you look back, I was like, that's actually a little problem. And it lets you get past that. Um, No, I know that um, after you left too, some people reached out to you and and said, you know, tell me a little bit more about, you know, your experience, because I think a lot of times we do not realize how many allies, allies we have until we leave and and they want to understand, you know, why we left. What would be your advice as someone who, um, if they reach out about, you know, any feedback or 360 reviews or something like that? What is the advice you give someone about that?
2: I worked through this. I had a a really amazing woman. I think her name was Amy Vertries who helped me to work through this um, a little bit. So I have to give credit where credit is due. But I think one of the biggest things and that I really, really resounded with me was um, to make sure that it was about me and that I was getting what I needed and that I didn't owe anybody anything. What I really needed was closure and healing from my end. And I really stuck more with the positive side of things, and I really I I did give feedback back because um, what had happened was whenever I had said that I was going to leave my job, a lot of people got pretty upset that that was going to happen. Which, you know, in hindsight, I was I was sort of flattered by that, right? Like people actually were going to miss me. Okay, cool. Um, But uh, but the flip side was is they weren't really doing anything about it beforehand, so. Um, I needed to come to terms with that, that while these people were allies for me, there were still some issues that were there. So so it kind of helped remind me again why why I left that job. But I stuck with sort of the positive sides of things and said, you know, here's all the things that um, really, you know, had I had these things, this is what would have been really great for me and would have really helped me, as opposed to sort of reliving all of the negativity of it and sort of going over you know, tit for tat on all of these examples. I, I just didn't need to do that. Um, and that was really very helpful for me and um, very, it, it, it allowed me to sort of feel very true to myself that it was very professional. It was very, um, it, it was trying to reach back and help the, the institution that I left and the, and the people that were still there that I, I really legitimately cared about. Um, And instead of it being really um, shallow and kind of superficial and and a little bit nitpicky about stuff, it felt much more authentic for me. And I think that um, really thinking about it and making sure that, um, that, you know, you're processing that, I think that really helped me in
1: the end. Yeah, and I think it's a great lesson for anyone who is in a difficult job or has left a difficult job or is looking back and trying to figure out how they managed a difficult job is really understanding why it was difficult for us. Um, and it's it doesn't ever have to be about the other person because we can't change anyone. and It's not about them, honestly. It's about what we want in our life and what we want in our job. And I think that when you um, process that yourself and realize that Oh, this is what I want in a job, and and you know, and I've talked about this, you know, simple exercise, which is, what are your complaints? What do you want? And what is your greatest desire? Um, and usually, when you list your complaints, um, it's revealing what your greatest desire is. And so, when you're processing all of this, you can put it in the frame of, um, this job didn't work for me because this is what I want. You're giving them feedback and. You're taking ownership, but not so much. You know, you're taking the ownership that that you should that gives you the power. Feeling the victim does not give you any power at all. Lashing out at someone else, no power at all. Um, but really speaking to what you want, what you desire um, is going to give you direction as well. It's gonna get you out of that muck that you found yourself stuck in, and it's gonna give you a direction of where to go um, with with very you know, strong specifics too. And so I think that um, a lot of times we do need to spend that time processing it. And whether we send a letter or give feedback to the job is completely irrelevant uh, because really what we're trying to do is um, provide ourselves with some lessons and some closure. Um, And so I think that that's really the best that we can do. Um, But it does kind of go back to the lessons, you know, that you have already learned there too of avoiding isolation and realizing there's no limits you know that you have on yourself and i think that that's a really great way to kind of marry this idea of our experiences and our jobs and you know the activities that we find ourselves choosing um which of course you know not all of us are going to do uh, an <laughs> an ultra man i was debating today whether i take the stairs of the elevator so i <laughs> think <laughs> elevator today all day long. I'm still recovering. (laughs) I think you have like a month of elevator time that is completely forgiven. Uh, But anyway, well, Dr. Raleigh, it was so great talking to you. I think that, you know, your lessons are so inspiring, both the fact that, you know, planning something, seeing what you needed, you know, providing that to yourself, but also recognizing that the way to success is to define it ahead of time, getting help and not being isolated. I think there's just such universal lessons for all of us to learn. And I can't, wait to read your book. I'll be first in line for the signature.
2: <laughs> I'll see whatever uh, I, I go ahead and put out my book.
1: We'll see. <laughs> That's perfect. All right. Well, it was so nice chatting with you. Um, And I look forward to our continued collaboration in the future. Thank you, Amy. I really, really appreciate you having me on today.
0: Don't forget to check out boss surgery.com forward slash it's complicated course. So you can start enjoying your surgery practice again. Enrollment ends March 31st.